2: Hello and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by Tim, aka Cranges McBasketball. Today we are joined by a special guest. Sorry, didn't get very. We just had Austin Reeves on the pod. Would normally say very special guest, Harrison Fagan. How are you? Editor in chief of Silver Screen and Roll so yeah i
1: i honestly first of all congrats on uh on you. the you
2: that was awesome and i really enjoyed the pod but i Very also lucky. was gonna
1: say like like does like tim do you hate me personally that you were like dm because it was before you said you had announced that austin was coming on the pod you're like oh hey can you come on the pod in like two weeks and it's like how do you make me the follow up for austin Reeves? like people are like oh man you know lakers <laughs> exceptionalism podcast like they're big time now they're probably gonna have like maybe not lebron but like i don't know like malik monk or something next week to break down phil you know no, like one of the lower tier guys i and mean, instead it's like me and so yeah i'm just i'm a little i'm a little miffed at you for setting this up and like setting your audience up for disappointment with me
3: hey you, if we're gonna set someone up it's it's gonna be a top top tier lakers media person so we're, we're happy to have you i'm sure this will be great uh We'll ask you some different questions that we asked our last guest, but
1: uh, <laughs> we're happy to have yeah, you. It's I can, been too I can long. How much work do the Lakers do in the film room? You know, as far as I know, probably a good amount. Like they, yeah. it seems like if they <laughs> mention it all the time. What you know? are
2: you doing on your off nights? Do you like yeah, to you yeah. know Warzone and Netflix? Yeah,
1: you know it's been Far Cry 6 lately. That's been okay. my that's been my big one. But uh, yeah, unlike Austin Reeves, I will hit you up for TV recommendations after the show.
2: Please do, please do. I love it. <laughs> I mean it. Anyone out there wants them? I got them. I will send them your way if you give me a little bit about what you're looking for. Anyway, we're gonna talk Lakers though. It's been a couple days of. To really weird basketball from the Lakers, honestly, culminating with a embarrassing loss in Oklahoma City after blowing a twenty six point lead. Uh, so I guess we'll start there. I don't really want to spend too much time. I guess my quick take I shared it on Twitter is, um, it's very bad. It's not ever good, right, to lose a you know game like that. But Tim, the rubber band snapped on him. This is kind of how some of this works in the NBA. Uh, and it, and later, maybe if you could explain the rubber band effect to people who maybe don't know, you probably do it better than me. But it, second night of a back-to-back after an overtime game, Anthony Davis is hurt. I really, like, yes, they quit, I guess, but I didn't see a lot more they could have given on the court. And I really believe that. I don't know. Do either of you, like, disagree or think this is a symbol sign of something more? Because – maybe the rotations are really bad i don't know it just it it doesn't upset me as much as i thought it would
1: yeah i mean you mentioned you said the you said the word embarrassing to describe the loss which i think is the exact kind of right verbiage for or adjective for it yeah. is like you know it, it's embarrassing obviously you should never I think ESPN had the stat of like the Lakers are like 400 something and oh when leading by 25 points at any time mm-hmm. during a regular season get like teams don't just blow 26 point leads that's not something that happens all the time but they do blow like 18 point leads and stuff sure. and like realistically you know obviously this is historically bad but it's also like you know every team has games Somewhat akin to this throughout the long regular season. You know, Jacob in a piece that he's writing for Silver Screen Roll right now mentioned like the 17 point loss against Memphis at one point during the title year. It's just like teams have these losses to teams that they should not lose to. And regardless of the circumstances and how horrible it looked for basically the last three quarters or most of the last three quarters, it's just, you know, this kind of stuff happens. And I think that they did the thing that veteran teams sometimes do where they decided like we're scoring at will, we can kind of ease up off the game a little bit on defense Mm -hmm. and then they didn't put their foot back down in time and you know i I thought that the whole frank vogel like we're gonna learn from this thing was kind of laughable because it's like no you're not these guys are all 30 they all should know better and this kind of stuff just happens throughout the course of an nba season but it probably you know it's probably not going to happen against the thunder again but they will have losses that are unfortunate this year and you know there's obviously stuff to take away from it but i'm not like in complete panic mode because i don't think it was as bad as it looked
3: Ultimately, I'm just glad it's it's only one loss in the standings. This is an early season game. A, over a quarter of the minutes in this game were filled by guys who may not be getting any minutes at all when everyone's healthy. If everyone's healthy at some point this season, between DeAndre Jordan, uh, Austin Reeves, who maybe now should get some more minutes, uh, but he'll certainly be fighting for a spot. Rajon Rondo and Avery Bradley. So this isn't you know full strength Lakers, but still losing losing this way to this team after being up as much as they were is disappointing. And I think embarrassing is the right word. And Tom, to speak to the rubber band effect you were speaking of, or you referenced, this is something that uh, Nathan Walker on Twitter, he's uh, at BB stats. He uh, has done a good job visualizing where when teams get a big lead, they tend to play less hard. And we just in basketball, in the NBA, we tend to see large leads come back towards the middle like a rubber band you can stretch it out but it's going to pull you back and when you talk about the rubber band breaking it almost like you stretch it and then you let go and it came back snapped back at you yeah, and then broke exactly, um, exactly where it went too back too far back in the opposite direction so it's and you it's couldn't natural. catch up yeah yeah mm-hmm. exactly exactly it's natural for teams up 25 or up 20 to be playing less hard and less focused than when it's a two-point game But it is not normal to see them completely blow the lead and then lose the way they did. So it stinks. I part of me is like, yeah, there's some to learn of, some some to learn from with this game. Part of me is like, burn this tape and don't ever look at it. Um, (laughs) At least from our perspective, I you know had to. I just rewatched the whole thing and I feel down. Um, It's kind of ruined my day. So I don't know. A lot went wrong. I agree that you know part of it's the second night of a back to back. Although the the, this not the Spurs, the Thunder were as well. They're probably the worst team in the league. We were debating yeah. pregame if they'd even win like 10 games this year. So this yeah. is this is a bad loss no matter how you chalk it up. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. There's some positives to take from it. And at the end of the day, there are ways the rotation could probably get a little bit better even with the guys available. There are things the team's doing on offense that are smart. And then they'll kind of like stop doing them for like four or five minutes at a time. And it's like, you know, just run the good plays more often and you'll succeed more. Uh, On defense like they're doing I think what we want them to see at least schematically like they're playing drop coverage with the bigs when AD's out there at the five they switched 10 of the 12 ball screens he was involved in like they're doing some of those little things that you'd want to see it's just there are a lot of breakdowns on ball and off ball and when you don't have two rim protectors in there it's it's really really tough for this Lakers team to not be poor defensively given who they 're throwing out on the perimeter defensive yeah. side of things, so it's it stinks thankfully it's early season and, and there's plenty that can improve within these guys within the approach, and just with the roster getting healthier so i'm not I'm not too down about it, but last night was not a fun night on Twitter.
1: Yeah, no, it's no. like the, I, I just wanted to say really quickly to add to that, like the, you know, teams having letdown games like this and even good teams losing to really bad teams sometimes. You know, I believe it was the, it was the Marcelo Huertas, you know, D'Angelo Russell Lakers <laughs> beat the 73 win Warriors at one point during yeah. the season. You know, like mm-hmm, this kind of stuff happened. I'm not saying the Lakers are going to go on and they're going to win 73 games. They're, you know, they're pretty uh, down in their odds to do that, I would say at this yeah. point. But, um, you know, like even really, really historic good teams lose to embarrassing lottery teams sometimes it just happens it doesn't always happen like this like the Lakers came out hot I remember that game with mm-hmm. you know they, they were up the whole time but stuff like this happens and yeah. it, it just like you can't get too worked up over it especially when like Tim mentioned you know you have the like the bad perimeter defenders like I, just when the Lakers are healthy you know uh, they're never going to play a mellow Rondo Russ lineup ever Probably. Or if they do, Frank Vogel is probably going to lose his job the next day. Like injuries have kind of forced their hand with to some degree with some of these unideal lineups. And you're going to have breakdowns when you just play those three guys or you play like, you know, some of the combinations of guys with Monk out there, whoever that they're playing. Like they're just playing a lot of not great defenders right now. And that's going to lead to comebacks like this. Yeah.
2: Yeah, no, and honestly, I wanted to say really quick that OKC is not as bad as I thought they were. I think Shea was awesome last night. I thought Giddy was awesome last night. And they might have something there, Tim. You were kind of uh, advocating for them on Twitter a little bit. And I'm not really trying to, like, say, look over here. This was a, wasn't an embarrassing loss. OKC might be good. Secret juggernaut. I'm no, no. But I was impressed by those those two guys, especially. Uh, and when you mix in some kind of kind of, you know, role players around it. You know, they're going to have a thousand picks. We'll see what that actually means to them, but Shay's good, man. Giddy's good. What do you think, Tim?
3: Yeah, they've got really three things going for them. Shea is excellent and he is he is maturing, he's adding to his game. He gets to the rim really well. He's hitting those like step back threes and like yeah. he's he's doing everything offensively and really encouraged by his play. He's like a legit legit player right now. Uh Giddy, only 19 years old. I think he was the number 6 pick in the draft this year out of Australia. Super you know just really talented young guy and the fact that he's as tall as he is and handles the ball like he does gives him a lot of inherent mismatches and over time he'll bulk up a bit and be able to take advantage of that more but we saw even with the Lakers yesterday it it was giving them trouble as a team that didn't have a lot of wing depth didn't have much big man depth um just trying to stay with him or be able to contest his shots and then that arena has dipping dots everywhere I was there like this like less than a week ago excuse Um, me their their is fantastic, Tom. Dippin' dots left and right, every floor, seemingly like every three sections. I I'd only have good things to
1: say about the arena. In
3: and, and right outside of it, they have a really nice okay. area as well. Okay.
1: Yeah, Those I mean that's really things. I think going to going to be the key when they rebuild the team and they're like kind of back to like the Russ, Durant, uh like Harden Heyday. It's gonna be, you know, it's gonna be Giddy, Shea, and and dots. You know, that's like that's the new big three. <laughs>
2: Yeah, come come for the dip and dots day for Shay and Giddy. Um, that's uh, okay. All right, Tim. Respect. You know, I'm glad you're, you know, enjoying the uh, OKC uh, arena at some of these games. I'm sure they're going to be, you know, not expensive to go to. Uh, but I actually wanted to ask, It just kind of, Tim and I were talking a little before the show, Harrison, about. This also being a factor of the team construction. It's not only that they're missing a lot of guys, which is sure, they're very not helpful. This is basketball. This is common. Lakers have seemed to be bitten by an injury bug as of the last calendar year. But did you expect this, you know, lack of wing depth to show itself this early in the season or You know, maybe why haven't they just re-signed Wes Matthews? Anything you've heard on that end? What's your take on kind of the lack of the wing depth on this team? It's really surprising.
1: Yeah, the Wes Matthews thing is confusing because it's not just that, like, the Lakers didn't resign. Because, you know, he had had an okay year last year, okay to bad. Like, at times, he kind of came on a little bit down the stretch. But, you know, that certainly was not a game that was going to get him paid by any means. But for him to be completely out of the league, like, I just wonder if there's something else going on. I I don't – I have not heard anything to this respect or whatever. But I just wonder, like, the fact that we haven't even heard any rumors of – teams like working him out or being interested you know it it just kind of makes me think that maybe he just is thinking about that he might be done like he just maybe doesn't want to play or you know there's something else going on like it's just it's confusing because for that reason just it's not just about the lakers it's that we've heard nothing about him at all good Mm -hmm. retirement you know other teams interested going in for a workout oh here's a couple names to keep an eye on for this team's like in the buyout market or whatever like it's just like nothing on him a complete radio silence and i did not expect the wing issues to kind of show themselves this early although in retrospect maybe we should have yeah you know I think that there was one of the things I've been thinking about in regards to this roster a lot over the last couple weeks and during the kind of disappointing preseason was you know there's some holes especially on the wing and one of the things is like you know every single signing that the Lakers made like they didn't make a bad signing this offseason all of them look great kind of in, uh, you know, like in a vacuum. But in terms of as a cohesive team, like there's a pretty big hole here at the wing. And, you know, like, uh, you know, our friend Darius Soriano was writing at uh, for Silver Screen Roll last week about the Lakers kind of wing issues and how they could use like another bulkier forward, like a Markeith Morris type that could kind of play some of those like small ball four, small ball five minutes in a pinch, yeah. has some toughness, has some like kind of bulk to them for these times, especially on nights when LeBron's sitting. You need a guy like that, I think, that they don't have... And I was joking with him, like, for the headline, like, should we call this? Maybe the team shouldn't have built their – maybe the Lakers shouldn't have built around 36-year-old Trevor Ariza. Like, should that be the headline of this story? Because, like, he should not be this important to the team. Yeah. This is a guy – He hasn't I don't think he's finished a season healthy in three years. Like, has he played a complete season or anything close to it? And – they should not have I remember when they signed him I was like this is a great guy for like bench depth insurance type thing and it seems like they were thinking of him as maybe a starter like a guy who was going to play a significant role in the rotation which I know that like you guys were a little higher on his signing and actually like kind of brought me around on some of the things that he had done last year and you know he was a little better than I had realized but you know just they should not I think all of us can agree they should not have been relying on him this much to kind of play for it to look this bad at times defense like he's not going to come back and just fix the defense that's not something that's going to happen no he would help
2: (laughs) it would help help.
1: yeah it would help but it's not going to like it's not going to solve like these kinds of issues but the problem is that
2: we put so much value on just him and the point is this should have been somewhat expected baked into who you're getting and why you're getting him at that price right
1: And like, he should have like, this should be a guy that's like somewhat expendable. Like you should not need Mm -hmm. Trevor Ariza. You know, he should be like a kind of, you know, like a nice thing to have a nice player to have in your rotation, but it should not be someone that you're relying on to where it's like, oh yeah. I mean, the Lakers are two and five, but they don't have Trevor Ariza. You know, like that, that's not something any of us would have expected to say. Yeah, I think if THT were playing that, a that's a big of a part of it, story. too. I, I I think it's the fact
3: that both of them are out that really makes this as, as much of an issue as it is, because we're playing lineups that have 80 and then 80 at the five and then either Bron at the four and like Bazemore at the three and you're, you're small yeah. or you Austin have Melo at the four who's not good rotating and <laughs> yeah. LeBron at the three and you've got issues there, too. If you could have those Bron THT three, four, four, three groupings or if Ariza were in, Ariza at the four, Braun at the three. You've got two guys there that, like, Ariza's not an elite rim protector. He's not the best on-ball defender, but he's really good at rotating. So just having him and Braun able to put out little fires is beneficial, or it at least lets Braun and his... What he does and what he's good at is much more impactful as the small forward in a lineup compared to being a power forward. Um, and having two of those guys on the court at the same time or one of them plus two rim protectors, like, those lineups should fare better. So just the fact that we can't have... THT and Ariza, I think, makes it. It it really makes things tough. So I agree that it's. I don't know. It, you we are in a position right now where it's like if Ariza comes back and he's he just doesn't have it, this team's in trouble. Like they need THT to be that guy, or they need to, They need Austin Reeves to to be someone they can rely on for big minutes because right now with the roster construction, there's just no other depth at the the wing position if you do want to play AD at center at all.
1: And like it, Austin Reeves has been great, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I, oh, yeah. I, I'm not going to disparage your, you know, friend of the program, Austin Reeves, but like <laughs> the Lakers, there's no way that they were counting on him going into the year, you know, like they mm-hmm. were counting on THT and Areza to be kind of this like backup wing void. And I just think in retrospect, again, I know like free agency wings are valued. It's kind of the toughest type of player to get. So it's really easy for me to say, just get a wing, get a wing, like, but, and harder for them to do it, but they probably should have, you know, used either. Bradley or you know or DJ or Rondo's roster spot on someone like that would have probably made a lot more sense you know in hindsight because now it's like Rondo has to play for playing it just because there's like no other bodies left but you're out there you have him and Russ who just don't work together on either end you know it's just kind of they, they really needed one more wing guy this summer, I think. And for them to, and there it's probably, it's something they're going to have to fix in the buyout market or this team, I think is going to be in trouble because whether like at this point, it's hard to expect that Ariza is going to come back and be, you know, great or totally reliable the whole season, just given his age and whatever. Like he he might come back and stay healthy the whole time and help, but it's probably not going to, like they're going to need one more guy. I think at this point, you know, if you're planning for the most likely scenario.
2: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I just think, uh, I don't know. I kind of want to talk about Vogel a little bit right now because I don't think this is just, oh, LeBron was hurt, second night of a back-to-back, you know, what I kind of set up before. And I believe that. I do still believe that Vogel is not setting the team up for success in some of these lineups. Um, I think he's really bad at keeping with lineups that clearly are working over other lineups on a night-to-night basis. Mm-hmm. So recognizing and, and going with guys longer than he normally would and really going back to that. And like, we'll see it in the, you know, end of the third quarter to stem the tide. Cause they've lost like 20 points and they'll put in a good lineup really quick. It's like the, why are we doing this after we're down 20 points? This is a theme with this team in third quarters going back three years, Um, and he's not learning the right... Like He's making the same mistakes, I guess. And that, to me... I guess, Harrison, for you, seeing that he only got that one-year extension, which I think speaks to what the team values in him as far as his expendability. I'm not advocating for anyone losing their job. I don't believe in that. However, as a, a fan, I think he is making some really, really obvious mistakes over and over again. And it's so frustrating to see, but I don't know. What have you heard on that end?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think with Vogel, the, the the what you said about the extension is absolutely correct. Like, that was not a vote of confidence, you know, right. in Vogel. That was a, we don't want you to be a lame duck coach all year, so we are going to give you this token one-year extension, but we don't necessarily know that you're going to coach the way that we want you to coach this year and that this team is going to look the way that we want it to look because I think that... To some degree, he's like coaching a team that he doesn't have. Like he's just like mm-hmm. DeAndre Jordan. You're Javale McGee now, and in 2021, and like 2021, Javale McGee is like better than 2021 DeAndre Jordan. Much less like 2019, 20 Javale McGee mm-hmm. or 20. I for a time as of 20. 2122 <laughs> now is where we are. Yes, I'm like losing you know, time is a flat circle in yeah. uh, in like a two-year pandemic guys. But yeah. uh, you know, I think that that was a certain lack of faith and that kind of showed you that they didn't necessarily think that this year was going to go great with him kind of coaching this kind of new identity that they want to clear these multiple ball handlers. They want to lighten the load on LeBron. They want to extend his career. And that's pretty obvious from the signings that they're making and how many playmakers and scorers they're trying to add. Like, I think that, you know, it's just, it, I'm not sure that Vogel is the coach for kind of the identity that they clearly want to shift towards. Like most coaches, I think, you know, most coaches even the good ones are good when they have their type of roster like they got to where they got because they have a kind of like a a single minded vision of how basketball should be played what works what doesn't what they like what they don't like and he is coaching this team to be this like frantically rotating you know multiple efforts defense and you know big kind of impose their will on you physicality bigger stronger faster and the lakers are not bigger stronger or faster right now they're kind of you know they have a ton of skill on their roster they have a ton of shooting and things like that but they're trying to kind of redo this identity of the team that won the title which is great if you had a roster more similar to that team but they don't right now and i think that, that is kind of where like i don't think vogel's a bad coach or anything like that he has his flaws like any other coach but i don't think that he is helping himself by doubling down on what he likes to do versus trying to adapt to what this roster really is
3: and i think Andrew's are a big piece of that. And and the Lakers are in a position where if this roster is fully healthy, I think they can succeed much more to that vision that you're, you're speaking about. Yeah. So where they are today, they have to decide, all right, are we going to put a band aid on this and just try to, you know, make this work with the same game plan, same strategy, even though it's not the best, or do we make a, a real change and, you know, install new behaviors, put some new principles in and do something that might benefit us now, but won't match what, we're hoping we can be once we get some of these guys back. So it's in some ways it's a little bit of a tough situation. And I I think once THT is back, once Ariza is back, like if this roster is healthy, I think for the period of time that roster is healthy, this can be a top 10 defense right now. They're not close to that because they just have too many guys out there that just can't defend well. Um, but I, I have hope. And I think Kendrick Nunn's another good defender. Like, you know, he's not some lockdown guy, but he's like, a quietly good defender. These these are they're taking away three negatives with Rondo, DeAndre Jordan, and then uh I mean Avery Bradley's been good on defense. Uh so I, I guess you're not quite get, quite getting the plus there by taking him out. But if you put THT in, if you put Ariza in, if you put None in, I think you're upgrading there. Big picture. So I wouldn't, I don't know. I'm trying to pump the brakes on getting too upset with where the defense can be. I like the general roster construction idea of instead of grabbing defensive guys that you really need to optimize offensively for a staff that's good at optimizing defense but not offense, we've instead given this team shooting and some guys who can self-create and they've got three stars. and. Improve the defense. If you know, if you're a defensive staff, get the most out of this defense. And then even if you're not running the most exciting offensive stuff, the idea would be that, you know, there's enough there already as the baseline and that even if you don't make it prettier than it could be just as is, you should be able to succeed. So I, that's at least where I was thinking going into the offseason. And and I think this can work. I just don't know that the, the injuries have allowed it and I don't know. At the end of the day, like, I think we've seen, and I I have clips of video, and I've looked at chunks of time, where, like, this team's kicking butt offensively. There are, like, about about a dozen actions or plays this team runs that, like, are really good. And they just will go games where they don't use eight of them, but they don't use six of them. Or the three that they do use, they only use, like, for a four- or five-minute stretch. And it's, like, you have the right answers. The play calling needs to be much better. Because what we have, even with the roster as is, at least offensively, can be much, much better. So I'm I don't know I'm all over the place I I it's it's super early and the injuries stink but there definitely are ways this can get much better I don't think any of us are in agreement that firing Vogel would be the right move right, right now like you've got to live with this and they have to make this work but they to, to Tom's earlier point they have to be able to look at the mirror at halftime you can't be getting killed by you know a dozen you can't lose every third quarter by a dozen points and, and win a lot of games they have to be better at those in game adjustments and then game to game seeing what works we can't have old Frank Vogel where he says, I need, you know, two, three, four weeks of lineup data to be able to make a decision. You have to be able to make decisions quicker. That's, we we can all tell you if something's not working after a month. You, you know, you get paid the big bucks because you can make those decisions on the fly in
1: game or, or without getting a huge sample of data. So that's where the that's, eye test comes in. That's that's, that's the not challenge. the data. That's where like you're watching it yeah. and you're deciding like, okay, I mean, you know, this lineup's having success, but I didn't kind of like some of these things that I'm seeing from it. So we're still going to go away from it. Or this lineup looks really bad, but they're just missing shots and stuff mm-hmm. like like that. That's that's where the eye test comes in versus the data. And obviously, they're all important, but you know, yeah, to, to your point, I mean, that is why. Why he's making millions of dollars and why we're sitting here podcasting
2: oh of course mm-hmm.
1: and they have i mean they have the shot quality data they have they have everything that they could want
3: everything we could ever want they've got like they from a process standpoint should be able to make better decisions with smaller samples using the data and then of course like you're saying using that eye test um they just have to just be quicker to react so here's here's to open to that it's only been five games Injuries have changed, like, seemingly every single game. So we haven't had a stretch where it's like, all right, this is the same, you know, hand of cards that you have. Or how
1: are you going to play? So, I, I certainly so. don't think that he's, like, fixing everything. And it's like, oh, man, like, Vogel really underappreciated coaching job here. But, yeah, I mean, he certainly has not been dealt an ideal hand at this point. And, yeah, it's too early to just be on the, like, fire Vogel train or this is all. This is, this is not all his fault. I, I just don't think that he's necessarily mm-hmm. helped himself a ton.
3: Yeah. And it's a bad look when you go out and run some of the the like late game yeah. after timeout set plays the Lakers did this past game. Whether or not it was the intent or not, like Russell Westbrook taking a pull-up
1: 3 when you need a 3 and Yeah, I'm convinced that the monk one was not put, the play. Like those guys, like if you watch the replay, okay. like they were all like AD was yelling at him like that that was I'm convinced that that I'm convinced okay. now that that was not the play that they were supposed to run and nobody was going to throw him under the bus, but like I don't think that he was supposed to shoot that that's encouraging i guess but like if the play was to give it back to russ <laughs> I, I and have so. him launch another one i mean that's not that i mean we don't know it's it's like, that's like an incomplete mm-hmm. and the mellow thing like i i wasn't I, I saw a lot of people getting mad at him but like i'm not mad at Mello. he just he took it he had an open shot in the closing seconds of the game to tie it up he took it i mean there was not much else you're gonna yeah. do there like it was the russ one that i was like this is kind of a red flag if that's what they were supposed to do like this it would be one thing if you're kind of giving it to lebron for that play like lebron Like LeBron is a decent pull-up three-point shooter. He's a decent three-point shooter. But like, if that was the play and you're running it Mm -hmm. for Russ, like that's not ideal. But I guess maybe you just say in the regular season, we're giving him this one now so that you know later on he doesn't feel like he needs to try it. I don't know. I feel like there's a certain aspect. I'll take the W now, Harrison. (laughs) Give me the W. In the closing (laughs) seconds of the game, you would think so, but especially in a game the Thunder were like really trying to lose after kind of a spirited second and third quarter and most of the fourth quarter and all of that but they were really really trying to give that one away through probably not intentionally but through inexperience and all that lakers really should have come out with a win last Mm -hmm. night yeah yeah
3: i don't want to encourage these guys we've seen anthony davis and how his style of play has changed since having that great three-point shooting and mid-range pull-up shooting season in 2019-2020 since then he has not been good in either of those areas, but continues to act and play like he is and so, you know, I don't, I don't want to encourage Russ any that's more than we That's to, to that the thing that's always fascinated me about his shot
1: selection is it's like, do, are you making these in practice? Like, what is, do you think that this is like a 12 year cold stretch that you're on? It's just like, it's going to, it's going to bounce back <laughs> to the meat. Like, I don't know. I'm not, I'm serious. I'm not trying to make fun of him. Like, I think like, it's just, it's just weird. Like, I don't understand someone who like clearly seems like a smart guy, like clearly wants to win basketball games. I, I just, I don't get it.
2: Mm-hmm. I think it's an irrational confidence yeah, with any of these I guess star so, players. Yeah. Yeah, There's always know. a rational confidence because you just have to believe, even though you're having a bad night, you can turn it around at any point.
1: Yeah, yeah, I guess. But, you know, it, it's but, it, like we're it's a couple years of data on those uh, on those Rust pull up threes, I think. And yeah, it's, just, it's not good. Yeah. And like you want him to yeah, be confident,
3: but you want him to have a, you know, a sense of reality and understanding that like this isn't the best shot for us. Like if I have to hit this, you know, I'll hit this with. There's when there's three seconds left on the shot clock. If there's 16 left on the shot clock, let's go get a better shot, knowing who we are. And and I don't know, just the people around him. I don't enabling may, might be the right word. Just like get a good sense as a team and on a player by player basis as to. Where, when is the red light? When is the green light? Like with Melo, we heard him reference that green light, red light mentality with isolations. I'm good with that. Like he shouldn't be isolating all the time against everybody, but when he's got a great matchup, go for it. You need to have that same internal calculus as, as Russell Westbrook to know with this much time on the shot clock or given how this, the floor is looking, this is an okay shot. But if there's plenty of time and we've got a space floor or whatever, you know, let's, let me go be me and go attack the rim, that, that sort of thing. So uh, that that's what I'm hoping for, and hoping we'll see improve throughout the year. What Melo's done is encouraging. We just have to see Ad and Russ
1: buying. And also ways, like we've seen with Russ, like we saw basically, you know, the effects of the back-to-back on his shot selection last night, you know, like he had the night against the Spurs. He was going to the rim. It's not like the thunder have like insane rim protection or something like that. I think he was just tired. That was tired legs. Mm-hmm. He settled yeah. a little bit more and that that kind of stuff yep. is going to happen over the course of an 82 game season. If that was a playoff game, I don't know that he's settling for the same shots as he is in, you know, like a random, you know, October night in Oklahoma city on the second night of a back-to-back.
2: So look,
3: Yeah, 25% of his shots were at the rim last night, and that was the lowest of any game so far this season. He's been in the 40s or 50% most games.
2: Yeah, no, I was going to say, let's talk about that Spurs game a little bit because we haven't potted since then. Um, I thought it it looked good early. It was ugly through the middle quarters, and obviously closing was ugly, and that team should have been able to put that win away. But I did think it... It was the other side of the coin on this back-to-back. They showed grit. They got lucky with some missed free throws in the fourth, but I do think that they showed uh, determination and kind of a a um, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know a passion and a cohesion that uh, this is the time to to lock things in. Uh, I was still a little frustrated with the lack of bigs minutes as Jakob Purtle was just you know getting free and you know anthony davis wasn't able to recover and and just stop a screen and stop hurdle it was like man i thought deandre and yeah. dwight were actually pretty good that night but you know again dwight
1: especially dwight yeah had, like his best stretch of the season in that game in that fourth quarter
2: so, yeah, I guess what's what What did y'all think of that game? I actually was pretty encouraged by that game. Maybe that's why I wasn't as upset by the Thunder game. But I definitely thought the Spurs game was uh, something that, you know, we saw old Russell Westbrook, you know, for better or worse, only three turnovers uh, and he was getting to the rim. He was settling sometimes, but mostly being aggressive and setting other guys up. His percentage
3: of the shots at the rim, that game was the highest of any game so far this season. I think it was like 58% I that or something not like surprising. that. I'll, I'll try to pull it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's good, and I, you know, we love to see that. Why I'm a little bit less encouraged is after going back and looking at the film, there were a lot of plays the Spurs were just going over on ball screens against him, which is not the thing to do, and is not what any of the other teams were doing on a consistent basis. So the the Spurs were running like the wrong defensive coverage against him, and that just let him you know get attacking downhill and to his credit and to the Lakers credit they took advantage of that it's just not it to me it was less that like oh the Lakers have figured something out or they've solved something in that regard and more so like this team just, you know, gave us an easy one and and they took advantage of it as they should. But it's less long term, you know, rosy for me from from that.
1: There's pop trying to troll the Lakers by playing intentionally bad defense against them to make them overconfident and make Westbrook <laughs> overconfident. Like this, this is this is how deep his Lakers hate goes is, uh, you know, he's just, he's tanking regular season games against them just to kind of give them like an unearned sense of confidence.
2: I, I wish maybe you never know I wish I uh, wouldn't <laughs> hold anything past it you know Kawhi could be a Laker if if not for that um, but you know who cares we got Anthony Davis and LeBron James and, and now Russell Westbrook who has been either great or terrible this season with very little in between is that is kind of as he goes as a player um, Tim he's actually setting ball screens You know, he's actually Mm -hmm. from zero in the first game. He started to set some more inverted ball screens with LeBron as we're kind of going back through the games here. We saw some good stuff in that Grizzlies game, uh, I thought, offensively or at least better, you know, than the first couple games uh, against the Warriors and the Suns. So where are you at right now? What's your temperature on like what offense or lack thereof this team is running? And we kind of heard from Austin Reeves like it's not so much play calling that maybe you would like, you know, it's a lot of hero ball, for lack of a better word, playing off of the circumstances.
3: Yeah, it's your basketball is jazz analogy, but for like a high school band. Um, <laughs> like there are times where it just does not sound good. And, and, you know, you got a couple guys who like, can you know, really hit the notes and they've got something promising going on, but like sometimes yeah. it's ugly. And uh, so in Russell Westbrook's 39 minutes in that game against the Spurs, he only set like seven or eight of those inverted ball screens and they worked out really well. That is one example of I think there were five or six different concepts I've seen the Lakers use so far to combat the fact that teams are going underneath his ball screens, which has just historically been the way to shut him down. If you go under his ball screen, you, drop, you play drop coverage, he can't get to the rim. And the Lakers have found ways to attack that instead of setting these side to side traditional East, West, i call them ball screens. They're trying to go North, South They're When, when the screener's setting the screen, he's setting the screen behind the defender instead of on his side. And you can't go under that. You, you have to pick a, pick a side. And if you pick the wrong side, Russ is going to the rim. If you're the big man, you have to drop. Cause if you're not dropping, if you're trying to show hard or hedge in any way or trap on one side of that screen, Russ can go the other way and he's going to go dunk at the rim. So it is a way to get him attacking downhill, uh, at times, if he's facing a good rim protector, he's going downhill. They're in position, hands up, and he he doesn't have anything. But when he's able to get to the rim and finish with force, that has been one of the the several ways they've, they've done so. So some of those concepts I've really liked. The inverted ball screens I've really enjoyed. Again, it's just kind of a frequency mm-hmm. thing where it's like they're running the right plays. But just like we've talked about with uh, guys playing with LeBron and, and cutting out the fat in their game, the Lakers need to cut out some of the fat in the, their offensive possessions. Uh, cause if they just flip some of these frequencies and I don't think Ron or Russ or, or anybody's going to be super upset if they run like four or five more set plays a game, it might get them an extra couple points a game. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm on more one end of the spectrum where I want more structure and it can still, it doesn't have to be call out a set play every play, but have some sort of concept going on, go inverted ball screen cause you're just generating advantages or, or have a LeBron AD ball screen or just some of those things that like, it's basketball. It doesn't need to be a set play where we diagram something up, but it's organized in some way, shape, or form in a way where you know where everyone's gonna be, the reads are simple, and you're just you know being you know purposeful about what you're doing. So I am encouraged by what we've seen in that they're showing the right things, they're just not showing enough of it. And so far, defenses haven't shut it down all that well. So if they start showing more, if we see a play calling switch for a game or five games or ten games suddenly this offense is going to be popping off. So it's there. They just need to to reach more into the bag and, and pull out some of the tricks more often.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data,
2: Yeah. And I thought it was interesting, Harrison, that uh, also, sorry, just a little quick tidbit before you about the Russell Westrick ball screens that Zach Lowe on his podcast talking about seven, which you said was kind of around the range he was doing in that game. Is was like his, his career high yeah. for yeah. ball screen set that he doesn't do that. Like is in his game. So he's adding stuff to fit around the Lakers offense with LeBron. And I think mm-hmm. that's a positive sign. I think there were good things to take away in these last like three or four games
1: no that's the thing that i've been most encouraged about frankly is the fact i mean and less so the last two games because it's like that's obviously going to be a more important development when he's actually playing with lebron but it was that that game previous against uh against memphis when he was they were just going rust ball screen like down the stretch Mm -hmm. and that obviously like it didn't really work a lot like there were a lot of bad results on those possessions but i like the process and i like that he was actively doing it and i think that if they continue to work on that throughout the course of the year that's something that could really pay dividends for them like you mentioned the zach Lowe screen numbers i remember when he wrote on the Russ trade edition that was one of the things that like popped out at me was like oh my god like i did not realize that he set like this little script like i knew it wasn't a major part of his game but i didn't know i think they said last season he set like 17 total or something like that Mm -hmm. it was like some really really tiny number of screens that he actually set throughout and so i was like I, i knew he'd set more this year but the fact that he's so kind of willingly embraced it like this quickly is what is kind of most encouraging to me more so than anything out of this start if you're looking for bright side takeaways because you know it's important that Russ gets comfortable it's important that LeBron plays well the AD plays well but if this team is going to maximize its ceiling you know Russ and LeBron have to be able to play together for like, probably like 25 plus 30 plus minutes during a playoff game. You can't, you can only stagger them so much at that point. It, you know, and in that case they need to be able to fit together. And I think that the Russ kind of like setting those, like those small pick and roll, those small big pick and rolls with LeBron can be something that is a real weapon for this team. If they can kind of get on the same page and continue to adjust and get used to that. It was Jacob, right? Jacob
3: Rood, who put together a, an article about those inverted yes, ball yeah, screens yeah, yeah over at Silver Screen Rule? Okay. Go check that out if you haven't already. He did a good job identifying and, and showing what was going on there. Why that's such a useful, uh, successful concept is when you're guarding a ball screen and there's a guard setting the screen, usually you have two options to defend it. Either you can switch or you can... You're not going to run, like, drop coverage with a guard and and expect that guard to defend the rim, so you don't do that. You're going to run some sort of aggressive coverage, a show-and-recover where you step out, you know, just try to delay them for a second and then get back. We see this a lot in college and just normal ball screen situations. But at the NBA level, guards usually either switch or they show-and-recover or maybe you'll trap, not as often with the trap. And the Lakers, if if you're defending LeBron and Russ, if you do that show-and-recover and and you've got two guys on the ball temporarily – that opens up what we'd call that short roll where it's just an immediate pocket pass. Russ catches LeBron and his two defenders are behind Russ and Russ is now attacking downhill. He's catching it like the free throw line. And with how the Lakers were running these plays, they were running the ball screen towards another perimeter player. So they were also kind of out of the way. So once Russ, Russ caught the ball, it wasn't even a four on three. It was a three on two. It was, I'm going to the rim. I've got two corner shooters. If you come to help me, I'm kicking it out. Or if one of those guys with like AD, he would come yeah. to the rim. Um, so if you come at me, I'll just throw the lob up or dump it off to him. So three v two with Russ running the game, like that's going to score all the time. That should be automatic as long as the you know the pass gets in well and and they're they're organized the right way. Switching is the other option and like. I I, ha- I was going back and forth with some people on Twitter as to which of the two is a better option. I think I'd rather switch, even though it's still a bad situation, because at least then... Even if you have a point guard on LeBron, you can still send some Yeah, extra it's like help less you chaos. You can make pain. some more
1: adjust- you can have like guys adapt and get you know, try to get back in position. Like you can have guys fight, yeah. like you have a chance there. Like I don't think that you really you have can try Yeah, you don't really have even a second to decide what you want to do when it's Russ in a three on two from the free throw line. Like mm-hmm. there's no you're making like a split exactly. second decision and he just gets to react, which is where he's at his best. Whereas like LeBron, you yep. know, he still is gonna try and set up kind of his best option. Like you have a little bit more time to kind of decide on the like i would switch i don't think it's a good idea but like it's the best of all of those options i think that you laid out exactly and
3: and if it were alex caruso kcp wayne ellington any of those guys setting the screen you're not worried about them. How in dare trouble. you? And that's why we saw in the past teams, they'll show and recover. They're not switching, they're gonna show and recover. Cause if, if KCP catches in the short roll, bad things are gonna happen. Um, this is the same as when the Lakers played Portland in that first-round series a couple of years ago. They were getting two guys on on dame and ball screens temporarily, and Nurkic was just, you know, flustering in, in the short roll and he was having trouble. He's better at that now. But it's that same idea. When you have Russ in there, or if Braun is setting the screen and he gets the ball in the short roll, they're going to kick ass. Like, that should win just about every time. The success rate should be really high. And to your point, Harrison, you don't have options. Like, you're handcuffed at that point. It's like... We have, you know, you just, just have, have, have no to time.
1: Like they're, they're gonna, they're about exactly. to do something and you have to figure it out and try and adapt and, you know, make a play. But unless you yeah. have a really, really good, like one of the best defenders in the league is your big man, like back there, like, you know, it's just going to be tough to have success for any extended stretch of time against that play. Like someone will make a play sometimes, you know, get a hand on the pass or there'll be a bad, like a mistimed lob pass. They'll have a second to get back to AD. We mm-hmm. saw that during the Spurs it, game. Like there will be mistakes. The Lakers aren't going to be flawless in those situations but over a large sample size, like that's going to be a really good set for them. Yep.
3: And like John Morant guarding LeBron, it's not a good situation <laughs> for the defense. Like this is picking between two yeah. bad options. Just at least it's 25 feet from the rim to start with. You have Ross and his defender or his new defender in the middle of the paint. So there is no immediate drive available and you have bodies able to rotate, able to, you know, sink into the paint and do stuff to, You know, you can make decisions on defense. You can be proactive, and there are different routes you can take between stunting and doubling and and pre-rotating to the rim, all different things that may ultimately still end up with two on the ball you just kind of get
1: to dictate that a little bit more. And you're probably killing five or six seconds off the and shot. And regular season, LeBron so, may just shoot the three over him anyway. Like that's going to happen at times. Exactly. He, he would never do that if he got jaw on a switch in the playoffs. He would take him down into the post every single time. But during mm-hmm. the regular season, like LeBron may take a couple of those pull ups and that's fine. Like, but he's, you know, he's 36 years old. That's all right. Like he's he's allowed to do that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, about the same percentage of the
3: time that the Lakers are going to screw up a lob or something in the short roll, we're probably going to see Braun just. Settle and he might for make it
1: like in that, in that ISO. I mean, and and that's, yeah. yeah, like, but he, mm-hmm. he will bail the defense out at least once or twice. Like if they are trying that guard switch before he, like if he misses a couple threes, then all of a sudden he's going to be taking him downhill because, but if he hits a couple then, you know, it works out.
3: Yeah. So <laughs> to, to, like, you know, tie a bow around this, this is a really smart concept. It's going to work now. It's going to work in the playoffs. You can't just sag off of Russ when he's setting these screens or Bron is just going to attack downhill. Um, so I, I love this for the Lakers. They just need to use it a little bit more. I I there's no point in trying to like hide it or hold on to it because once you get to the playoffs, teams will be prepared for it and they're gonna show you stuff that you need to be able to counter. And if you haven't gone through that process in the regular season, you're learning on the fly in the playoffs. I'd rather, you know, work through all your homework exercises before the the final exam and then, you know, know that you've solved this problem
1: before. So that's that's kind of the growth I want to see from this team, but this is another really And I just wanted to mention that. two things on that yeah. real quick is that, like, number one, we've barely mentioned this, but, like, AD is also the other guy in that equation in most of these closing lineups, and so you have, like, an elite, elite, like, kind of, a lob threat athletic guy to like either get a second chance point off of like if Russ takes a kind of a short floater or something like that like you have one of the best players in the league equipped for that specific the specific skill set that you want from a big in that situation on offense and then like number two is that you know I just wonder how much of not using it a ton during the regular season it's sort of like remember when the when the Warriors had KD and Curry had had KD and they had Steph and you know their fans were screaming all year run more like Steph KD pick and rolls and stuff like that but steve kerr very clearly like wanted to save that as a thing for the playoffs they're like we know that this works we don't really need to see anything on it i just wonder how much of that is like how much of this is that a little bit of like we don't you can say that but they may feel like you know well we have counters that we don't want to show or that we don't want to give teams a bunch of data on like they might say the exact counterpoint to what you said you know we don't want to allow teams to do their homework you know give them more film to kind of do that homework we don't want to let them take notes into the test or something like that and you know that that may just be a philosophical thing where they're like we just don't want to overshow this in that scenario and in, in I think the Warriors are a little bit different
3: because they're like ah we've got Starkiller ba- you know we, we have the Death Star we don't need to show you Starkiller yeah. base yet like that <laughs> the, the, the Lakers are in a little bit of a different situation in terms of how the offense is performing but uh I know that I think that's a fair point and, and really what it would come down to is if nobody's showing anything early Once you get to the playoffs, you just need to be able to adjust on the fly. And if you are seeing new things, you need to have tactical strength and confidence and prowess in your staff to make the right decisions and be able to communicate that to players. And players execute something that they haven't executed before. And so I don't feel great about the Lakers in that situation. I would prefer they just have all the answers ahead of time and be prepared and then just adjust based on things that they've done already. Because um, I think at the end of the day, there's no real solving that concept. I think if it's something that like it's like a trick play that like once a team sees yeah. it, it's, you know, you can shut it down. This isn't quite that. So I think this can be a real staple of the offense that I just I think I would love to see them get more reps with. Because I think this this if they're going to be dominant or go anywhere in the playoffs, they're going to have to do this
1: well and often.
3: They got at all. three
1: games with Russell and LeBron. So like I think at some point we'll probably see yeah. more of this regardless. Yeah, for sure. For sure.
2: Uh, yeah, we went from seeing them not do it at all in the first game of the season to starting to do it regularly. So there's there's positive movement there in that direction. Um, so Russell's ca- going to be Carl Malone by, like, game 53, just, like, all <laughs> screens
1: for LeBron all the time.
2: You mean Bruce <laughs> Brown?
1: Yeah, there you go.
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> I would like to say Russell Westbrook is tied for third in Kobe assists right
1: now per he brought mom mentality back
3: to so the Lakers. there
2: is Okay, there is definitely something that and I guess I'll I'll throw this in. The Lakers have exponentially more vertical threat this year. Part of it is uh, a healthy Anthony Davis. Part of it is Russell Westbrook throwing lobs, Rondo's back throwing lobs. They're not always great lobs. Most of the time, they're pretty good, though, I think. Russ can get the ball to AD at angles, I think. You know, Ad is an athletic catcher. He's got a couple turnovers throwing some stuff to Dwight Howard, and Dwight was like, "No way, he's gonna bend backwards and catch that ball, land and and you see Russell Westbrook get frustrated by that and shake his head up the court. I remember this possession vividly. Uh, but Anthony Davis is catching this spinning, putting a guy on his back, dunking. There is positives with Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook too that I've seen over the last couple of games, and um, I mean it's not good that LeBron's missing time, but I guess that's uh, that's something else positive to take away that Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook seem to have a better chemistry on the lobs, and even DeAndre Jordan's been getting into the mix lately.
3: Yeah, I'm with you. Just chemistry in in this situation means know how high yeah. I can throw lobs like know if I could, if I need to throw it you know put it I on mean, a spoon yeah. or if it can be like we're throwing a football yeah. out back and just you know purposely throw me bad balls so I can make OBJ catches and I like think that.
1: sometimes that like that was one of the subplots of the 2019-20 season was yeah. like guys would throw lobs to JaVale or Dwight that you know ad would have gotten but they were like oh yeah that's right that's not ad rolling down the rim uh, rolling down to that like that's almost like i feel like a muscle memory mm-hmm, thing where mm-hmm. you get used to having like this huge gigantic ridiculous catch radius and then it's like oh yeah like i kind of have to basically put it in the basket for dwight at this point in his career mm-hmm Yep. But I, I mean, the
3: team's throwing more lobs and I love it. I don't know what the numbers look like. I don't know if big picture it's worth the turnovers we've seen so far, you know, at least so far in the future, as they continue to fine tune stuff, I'm sure it'll get better, but that, and then also the throwing really long passes after like free throws or inbounds that has resulted in a lot of turnovers, but also gets the Lakers some easy buckets. Those are the two things that at some point I would love to do some video work and see like what, you know, what's the success rate on this. Um, Because there could be a point where it's just not worth it. Uh, but, you know, it's a lot of fun highlight plays and, and I'm still enjoying.
1: Yeah, it this so is going to be a high turnover team. I don't know if either of you feel yeah. differently, but I, no. I feel like that's just part of it with a team that's trying to play this fast. So like you have more possession. So that's going to raise your per, your turnovers per game numbers that kind of everybody looks mm-hmm. at. That's going to raise that up. And they're just they're trying audacious things to get easy baskets and stay out of the half court. That That's going to lead to turnovers at times. And I think sometimes, especially on those long passes, that's not as damaging as like a turnover in the half court just because your defense is basically already back so at least it's not it's not like quite the same and i don't think that it will be as bad as like the numbers kind of look necessarily
2: sweet man and some of these are sailing out of bounds
1: so it's like also like the team's not getting a fast break out of that either which i'm not saying like you know being an inaccurate passer enough that the player can't catch it is a good thing but there are silver linings
2: Uh, Harrison, really quick before you go, what have you heard lately about some of these injured guys and any updates on their status or anything coming out lately that's indicates maybe some close returns for any of them?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would be shocked if Ellington is not back in the lineup too soon. Like he, he's dressed the last two games, but Vogel just keeps saying like he's an emergency guy, which I guess just means like if every other guard gets injured, like we will put him in, but otherwise we're going to try and steal him another game of rest. So uh, he will be back, I think, any day now. I would be shocked if he wasn't. Like I know what I saw Woj just said on like ESPN like an hour or so ago, that there's a lot of optimism that LeBron's going to play tomorrow. So mm-hmm. I would imagine that he will be back. You know, like I don't think that that stuff doesn't come out about LeBron's return status unless he's getting pretty close so I would I would be honestly at this point I would be surprised if he doesn't play tomorrow so I I think as far as the other guys you know it's it's going to be a while on THT none the kind of tenor of the talks about none makes me think that it's going to be like a little longer like that he went from like I think it was an ankle to he went to bone bruise and Frank Vogel's calling it a big loss and like that kind of stuff that makes me think that one's going to be a little longer Mm -hmm. and I'm not sure when they're going to be getting none back but I think you know LeBron being back Ellington at least being another option for the team yeah. even though he wasn't great during the preseason like they're they're starting to get bodies back and you know it seemed like that AD knee thing was you know not a whole that was just a knee-to-knee contact that felt really bad but ended up not being too detrimental so hopefully he's all right and yeah I mean there are going to be injuries and stuff this year but I think they're getting closer to healthier at which point we can really start to judge this team and kind of how they're approaching things and what things look like as we get a larger sample size and guys get healthy but like a reason THT are going to be out for, you know, like months, like that's, you know, uh, they, yeah. they had surgery, like that's just a thing, but you know, maybe THT working on his left hand during this time, at least he can that's do cardio. True. He's not going to be in NBA shape, but it, that may be, you know, it's obviously not a good thing that he got hurt, but it may, you know, uh, he's going to learn how to use his left hand during this time, maybe. And so, you know, that is something that, you know, maybe will be beneficial to him in the long run. Not that he couldn't have worked on his left hand before, but maybe he wasn't. No, you know, I remember, you can't Kobe, work on your offense. It- Yeah. I mean, Kobe like got way better with his left hand because he broke his hand at one point, like early on in his career, like we, this stuff, you know, for all of us on the outside, we're like, why don't you just work on that? And they're like, well, but this other thing, I'm like really good at it and I'm kicking ass with it. So why am I going to go to this? And, you know, we saw teams like kind of get the tape on THT, but you know, maybe something like this in the long run ends up being a blessing for him. If it forces him to really work on that left to the point where obviously he's still going to go right. Most of the time, that's how he's like made his bones, but he can at least you know teams cannot to the comical degree they were last year play him only for the right
3: Mm -hmm. i remember i actually went through this when i was in high school playing uh we were in the state tournament making a run and broke my my I'm lefty I broke my left hand Or my left wrist And Just every day of practice Everybody's practicing Then I'm over there Dribbling with my right hand Shooting right-handed layoffs Just bullshitting Right-handed jump shots um, And like You get better And I mean I graduated at that point So it wasn't all that Functional for me But in college First
1: couple of years In rec ball I was kicking ass Yeah um, I gotta say um, Like yeah, working on my left When I broke my wrist In high school Did not help my game Very much It did not help my left Like I didn't get much better <laughs> You know like So maybe there's a uh, THC's better at basketball Than me though So hopefully he, like get some when you're yeah when you're forced to be there and like just get the get some reps up yeah i could like i could actually shoot with my left hand by the end of it it just was not good like i I couldn't make with my left hand but i could get (laughs) the ball to the rim
2: this all brings me around to uh-huh. one of my hottest basketball takes. This is like I'm putting my tin foil cap on and looking into the future, where I think legitimately we could see somebody like a, and I equate this to someone like a Shohei Otani who's doing such an unprecedented stuff. Where yeah. we'll see somebody shoot from either hand depending on what's most beneficial to the direction or body movement that they're going. You I think, think like, we theoretically, could theoretically someone do that? that
1: that's like uh, that that's possible. Like that because you know switch hitters in baseball it's not the same thing like people could Mm -hmm. train themselves to do that yeah that would be a real weapon for someone
3: i've seen it uh in college during practices or between drills i'd be like dicking around with the assistant coaches and um the head coach would never. They they were too serious. But the assistant coaches and I we would like play basically play horse, but with our off hands, and they were so good, dude. Like, and and they had all played in the league, so it was like it's it's possible. Um, they're they're you know I, I don't know if it's quite like I will pull this out in a real game sort of shape, but I would imagine if you took this Lakers squad, stuck them in an open gym and told them they can only shoot with their off hands, you you'd see some really
2: impressive. Oh, stuff. Absolutely, yeah. We already know what, Le- what LeBron can do, like dribbling with his left, obviously, uh, finishing through contact. He's done that both sides of the rim all his career. But I just, this is my like big brain. I, I always wondered about it since I was a kid. Like, why don't, you know, like like Harrison said, switch hitters, why don't guys shoot with both hands? Well, you know why? Because it's hard to become a shooter, good shooter with one hand. That's why. And,
3: yeah. yeah. And it doesn't give you a natural advantage, really. Like, there are going to be very few situations I see, I where it's like, I wish no, no, I were I righty instead of I lefty. I disagree.
2: Really? Does, I think there's marginal advantages to be had there, where if you're coming off of a pick and roll, and you want to shoot this little pull-up that's just clearly easier if you're going to one direction or the other... Or if someone's playing, you, it makes it impossible to shade on all situations, jump shots included, not just, like, a drive, you know?
1: Yeah, I look forward to whatever jigsaw-esque drill a lethal shooter comes up with to uh, (laughs) get, like, his players to do this, (laughs) like...
3: They're gonna be skydiving and, and shooting a rim as it shooting the, the, at a rim the, as it falls. Honestly, with their I, off hands I respect
1: and... like his social media. Like he knows that people are making fun of him, but like it's like busting mm-hmm. out the underwater jump shot. Like that was just like uh, that was an all-time That's be troll. Trolling. Like yeah, yeah he's like I'm wet it's even underwater. Like yeah. that, that was so good. I can't, I can't. You can't even get mad at that. Like people are mad. Like he's like training THT to shoot like this. That's not the drills that he has them running. He's just showing off and marketing himself and whatever. And like I, I think it's hilarious. Right. Like.
3: It was like in the Discord, I think yesterday, somebody posted one of the like Colin Coward takes about the lakers and you pointed out like hey no this guy is getting paid to like have these crazy
1: takes because he gets attention it has our attention he's making money from it like it's that's just part of the game yeah that's part of marketing i mean like like you know some people have bad takes because like they earnestly feel that way or like they didn't you know like they aren't as informed on something and they're just trying to fire from the hip or whatever like that stuff happens but look like i I don't have to name names to like say that there, there are people in media who know that if they like stand on a certain corner of About like something and they yell about it, that there's gonna be a certain amount of people that like engage with them, like Skip Bayless. You know, like he can like everything that LeBron Mm -hmm. does is the devil, you know? Like there's no way Skip Bayless doesn't actually like he's not actually mad that like LeBron like shit talked the squid game director or something, (laughs) but like, you know, he could get 10 minutes of TV out of it and people are gonna pay attention. So yeah, I mean, that kind of like this kind of stuff happens. Like, people are not always coming at this stuff from good faith, whether that leads to like whether that, you know, expresses itself in hot takes or it's like like, I'm going to claim that this game is rigged because that will get, you know, like Nuggets fans to follow me or something like that. Like, that's just, you know, these kind of things happen where people like kind of lean into these bits because it's advantageous for them. Yep. And when you have to talk that much,
3: yeah. like, you're going to have to, you know, formulate some opinions that maybe you don't actually truly hold just to,
2: to have some okay, sort of discussion. Yeah. We got to there. the Skip Bayless portion of the podcast. I think it's time to wrap it up. Coming up Harrison next on Pig. Undisputed. <laughs> Who is I don't even know what this means Harrison Fagan thank you for joining (laughs) us editor-in-chief last question how was that whole experience
1: which experience the,
2: the what is i don't even know what that means harrison fagan some guy the Philly oh the guy. mike
1: missinelli thing that was oh okay yeah, yeah yeah no that was honestly that was the highlight of my off season that was so funny like a couple <laughs> years ago i would have been like i, I would have been like because like i you know i get anxious like i would have had like you know full-on panic attack i'm like oh man everybody's after me like this like guy with this huge platform just made fun of me now it's like that was hilarious that he got that mad over like not understanding a meme it was yeah. like like, yeah, I don't. That that was that was the funny. It gave us like a great podcast intro for me and Anthony's like Lakers Lounge podcast, <laughs> yeah. where we just have him going like Harrison <laughs> Fagan. I don't even know what it. Yeah, like he was just the fact that he took like my joke about my very clear like meme joke about like the Ben Simmons situation <laughs> that like everyone was doing on Twitter. I don't even know how like Grandpa saw that one, but like specifically to get mad about. Facebook. And then the funniest made part to of Facebook. it. Was like Jason Jason Dumas, who like is like an NBA, like writer, reporter, whatever, apparently was this guy's former intern. And this guy was like claiming that he did not know who he was. Where is he getting sources and the Sixers like thing from? And he's going on this rant about like ethics and journalism. Well, he works for a team broadcast partner and like, you know, like he's essentially on the Sixers payroll, but he's like mad that people are like sending joke tweets about Ben Simmons. And that's evidence that I'm trying to get scoops from Clutch because as you guys know, you know, just huge insider Harrison And I bring all the the Clutch stories over here. Like if LeBron's going to play, I have it first every single time. And it's just, yeah. You know, Rich Paul, he just like, he actually bases, people don't know this, but he bases who he leaks to on who sends the best Twitter memes. So, you know, it's, like, clearly with that, <laughs> the, like, crux of that guy's hypothesis. It, well, and even if you did, like,
3: there may be times where you, uh, someone, they're given information early that if released would be detrimental to the Lakers' success, and if we have any sort of vested interests. Like I'm not gonna share that. Like it's it's not helping us. Oh, disagree. I it's mean, not helping like, the look, team. It's
1: I. You know I'm I, like if I if I get like a big, <laughs> if, in if, it for the if, if I get a big story, like I'm going to report it. Like even if you know like it's, okay. it's something harmful to the Lakers, like I'm not going to sit on it or whatever. I know you guys are still like more diehard fans or whatever. I'm more reporter, even though I think I do have like a soft, I still have a soft spot for this team and especially for the fans yeah. and who've made my career possible and everything. But like if there's a negative story, like I'm still gonna cover it. But that's also like that's not my main thing. Like, I'm not like a scoops guy. Mm -hmm. I'm more of kind of like, I'm a blogger. Like I embrace my role as like being a little bit more on the outside and kind of analyzing this stuff in ways that people are like, you know, who have to maintain relationships, like with all of these people on a regular basis, like maybe can't, you know, I ask questions, like I talk to people, obviously, but like my job is not reliant upon, you know, like, like if, you know, team employee X is mad at me and they're not going to leak to me, like all of a sudden, like, oh my job is in trouble like i I can Mm -hmm. kind of you know say what i want in like a different way or like make jokes on twitter in a way that i could not if i was trying to be you know like woes or shams or whatever it's just like a different type of media job entirely like yeah just the fact that Mm -hmm. he like thought that that was evidence of like ethics and journalism issue was the funniest (laughs) part to
2: me oh man that was too funny to watch uh you get your you know five minutes of (laughs)
1: Yeah, Internet no, I'm, i I, yeah, I still had like his like radio fans tweeting at me that I was like a clutch plant like two days oh, later, man. which was very funny. <laughs> That's great.
2: Well, thank you, Harrison, for joining us. Um, you got any other stuff coming out this week? Uh, people should be on the lookout for.
1: No, I mean, Rich Paul, will let me know my schedule, you know, tomorrow or whatever for the rest of the week. And, you know, it just which memes I have to send about the Simmons situation. No, I mean, we have uh, we have some good stuff coming up at silver screen and roll. We have uh, like Jacob's writing a story right now that I was I'm in the middle of editing on, uh, you know, like why it's not really sort of some similar stuff that we talked about on this pod, but like why it's not time to panic about the Lakers yet. And there's like a lot of context here that I think is going missing and like, you know, everyone being mad on Twitter after a game or something like that, that you can extend a on an article you know Darius has something coming on kind of the Lakers six men and them having more scoring punch off the bench and you know it, we, we have some good stuff I've actually been you know really happy with the staff that we've put together we have like kind of deeper, more thoughtful columns coming basically every weekday now, which is something that was really important to me as I look to kind of overhaul the staff going into this season. And, you know, we were able to bring some contractors back and, you know, on staff and on payroll. So, you know, I'm excited about that. Dr. Brar had a great thing on today on why, uh, you know, there's reason for optimism that this is not, that LeBron ankle thing is not as bad as, you know, maybe people were making it out to be because it's the same ankle and stuff Mm -hmm. like that, that was really insightful. And then now, you know, maybe not as necessary to look at if they're just about to announce that he's going to play tomorrow or something like that. But still, I mean, he was ahead of the curve. And, you know, I'm proud that we have stuff like that on the site. and I'm I'm really proud of our staff.
2: Awesome.
3: Yeah, your go-to resource for fans. I just – and I do really appreciate, like, the the depth of the pieces and then just the fact that you've got – it's not just, like – Here's what they said, here's what's happening, you know, game recap, here's what went on. There there are those like we're gonna deep dive this player, this situation, or 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 like the medical stuff, like you mentioned. Like it's very timely and it's you know, these are questions we all have, and none of us have this background to be able to answer the questions. So having that kind of personnel dedicated to the team that we follow is is
1: fantastic. And we really appreciate the work that yeah, you and your I, team I do. Yeah, I appreciate that. Just last thing for me. I just wanna I just wanna say, like, I just always wanna give people that click on one of our stories like a reason to feel like they went to our site versus you know like going to you know like a general nba site or some other competitor or something like that like i want people to feel rewarded that they like went to this homepage and feel like they want to come back because they're like i got some good information from this
2: well you are the lakers blog referenced most in the lakers exceptionalism podcast so thank you for that yeah, that might that may or may not be
1: because some of my staff members are in there but i'll, I'll <laughs> still i'll take it
2: Well, thank you again for joining us, man. Go check out all Harrison's work and everyone at the Very Talented Team at Silver Screen and Roll. And uh, Tim, we'll record another one here soon. Hopefully we get LeBron back and see what this offense could look like because it hasn't been great lately.
3: Yeah. And if the offense needs new ideas, I uh, just today commissioned three songs to be created uh, that we, we are going to, you know, LeBron came to L.A. to make movies. Well, we're going to have a nice musical here on the Lakers oh, exceptions
1: podcast. Tim went to
2: Fiverr to schematic get Schematic concepts.
1: He, you told me this before the pot. I didn't realize that you were like going to announce it on the show today that you had these like songs in commission and you're just ready for the team to play better offense to, uh, to like knock them out. This is great. I'm so scared.
3: It's, it's going to be great. Well, if they come out before the team starts playing better offense, we can take some credit and be like, you know what? It was, it was the, the frozen rewrite that those Lakers sex pod guys oh, put together no. that, you know,
2: okay, start the chain. Right. Oh, my look. So be on the lookout for that, I guess. I don't know. We'll try and drop it here at the end of the pod sometime. But uh, until then, we'll talk to you all next time.